I had another panic attack in the middle of a workout and it just, it got to the point where I finally did break down to Shalane and, and Jerry and told them, I was like, you know what? I don't think, I don't think I'm okay. And I was like, we need to address obviously the injury, but also like, I'm not enjoying running anymore. Like I get so stressed for every single run. It's not fun. And Shalane really took the, the reins on it and, and helped me find a therapist. And I just finally dove into the work too. Welcome to For the Long Run, the podcast exploring the why behind what keeps runners running long, strong, and motivated. I'm your host, Jonathan Levitt. Through personal and professional connections in the running world, I have the privilege of getting to know some amazing athletes. I've always been fascinated by the psychological aspect of running, and this podcast is aimed at exploring this and much more. I hope you enjoy. Thank you to Tracksmith for their support of For the Long Run podcast. Tracksmith is a Boston-based running apparel brand born from a desire to celebrate both the history and the evolving culture of running. I have been loving their Van Cortlandt long sleeve, which pairs well with the Alston half tights on a brisk fall day. Imagine a world where running injuries don't exist and every runner stays healthy. That's the world I want to live in, and that's exactly the world that Recover Athletics wants to make happen. Recover is the first prehab app for runners. It instantly generates custom prehab programs made up of strength, plyometric, and mobility exercises to help loosen tight muscles, get stronger, and run your best. Their team designed it with top physicians and marathoners like MEP. It's guaranteed to make you a stronger and more injury-proof runner. If you want to fix your aches and pains, get stronger and set PRs, Go to the App Store right now and download the Recover Athletics app today. Welcome back. I have Courtney Frericks joining me on the podcast today, uh, live from Flagstaff, outside of uh, her normal Portland. Courtney, thanks so much for taking some time to chat today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Of course. So the first question is always a challenging one. And uh, the question is, who is Courtney? <laughs> oh, gosh. I don't know. <laughs> um, by nature, I'm a perfectionist. <laughs> so that's been a lot of my drive, I think, in everything I do. <laughs> but I don't know. <laughs> that's a really hard question. <laughs> <laughs> You'll be thinking about that for the next week. Yeah. So, so Courtney is a runner, an Olympian. Uh, um, we'll take it from there. And, and <laughs> so given, given your running pedigree, um, I want to rewind it all the way back. Uh, do you remember your first run? You know, actually, ironically, for how late my running career started, the first running memory I have was from like first or second grade. I think I was about seven years old. So, and it was like the PE mile. (laughs) And were you, did you win it? Yeah, I ran about like seven minutes and a little, a little over seven minutes. And so at that point, were you like, okay, I might, I might be good at this or was it just, you didn't think anything of it? Um, Kind of both. I didn't think a lot of it, but I definitely think I knew pretty early on that there might be something to running, but it weirdly didn't catch for a long, like stick for a long time. <laughs> when when did it? Honestly, not really until my senior year of high school. You know, I, I dabbled in and out of running starting, gosh, fifth grade, but it actually caused me a lot of anxiety <laughs> from a really young age. 
And so I chose to stay away from the sport for a, a lot of time. Um, running here and there, like I had some really great high school coaches that allowed me to play on the soccer team and run on the track team. But I mostly focused on the relays because those were really fun and <laughs> exciting and some of the field events. And then I finally ran my first season of cross country my senior year of high school. And that was the first time I really experienced running for something bigger than yourself. You know, our cross country team qualified for state that year and, and accomplishing that goal, I think really helped me to fall in love with the sport. I want to ask questions about like the team environment that you're with now, because there's a lot of success within that team, but I don't want to jump the gun and <laughs> fast forward 10 years. But um, what was the, so what was the journey like after you found that? Um, call it a micro community or a team and how, how did it change knowing that you were a part of something bigger? Yeah. I mean, I think that, like you said, it helped me really find the love for the sport and it helped me also want to see where it could go, what I could do. And that's really what led me to decide to run in college. And I think running in the NCAA was such an incredible experience. You get four or five years of, of pursuing team goals. Um, you know, that's something that you lose a little bit sometimes in the professional world. And I was really fortunate that I just ended up finding the perfect place for me. I went to UMKC, the university of Missouri, Kansas city, which was a small division one school in Kansas city and actually didn't meet my college coach until the first day of practice. <laughs> and, um, he ended up being just the most perfect person for me to connect with. And, um, he was so patient with me and, and just helped me learn the sport, understand the sport and set really big goals. I think things that I probably wouldn't have ever thought about setting, you know, I was, had just finished my freshman year when he told me, he thought I had a chance to make the Olympic team and to have someone have that kind of belief in you, I think just can make such an impact. And so followed him then to university of New Mexico, where then had just the most incredible team experience winning the national championship and cross country as a team. And, and that experience really changed what I was even looking for in a professional environment too. Cause I had gotten to a point where I was training on my own a lot and you start to buy into this idea that you're good because you can focus on yourself. And then, you know, all of a sudden I was surrounded by girls that were as good or, or better than me had skills that I didn't have. And, I was pushed to a whole new level. It's, oh my gosh. It, and it was, it's so much fun when you're working with other people. <laughs> so yeah, that's really kind of what led me to the environment I'm in now. One of the pieces that keeps coming up, we were talking before we started recording is, and, and saying that there are a lot of themes that are consistent with athletes at your level. And one of them that was really unexpected until I had these conversations or like saw the behind the scenes with, with a lot of them is the the fun aspect. Talk to me about fun and how you, maybe it's not intentional, but how, <laughs> how do you keep training fun? That's a good question. <laughs> um, I mean, that's something that I think I'm always striving to work on. My therapist is always saying like, we need to keep it fun because I'm definitely a really focused like um, individual. And, but I think that that's where then sharing this with, with others brings in an element of fun. Cause it could be really lonely. And if you were by yourself all the time and so finding that group of people to, to share all the miles with and all those conversations that keeps it really enjoyable. And I think just like having a variety of goals, you know, I think what we talked about 
it's so easy for you to be driven by more objective type goals or things. But I think like thinking back to 2020 in the year of COVID, whenever all of a sudden it was like, I don't know if we'll even have races, what kept it enjoyable or kept me moving forward was like having these sort of non-performance goals, things like that. So that really helps keep, I don't know. I think that keeps a lot of enjoyment in it for me too. What were some of those non-performance goals? Um, you know, one of them was just like, what is my attitude coming into practice? Like, you know, am I trying to be more positive or am I like just really trying to show up with a positive attitude? Um, you know, consistency and mileage and, and really trying to, I'm one of those people that's just so, uh, like I want every, I'm like I said, I'm just such a perfectionist that sometimes I think I start thinking about the end too often. And so I'm like, so calculated that I'm trying to just figure out how to get to X. And so I was like, how can I use these workouts to practice being a lot more in, in the moment, in the present. And, you know, maybe that means I get to the end, maybe it doesn't, but I'm going to, you know, be in the lap I'm in. So things like that. Um, I think those are really important because it, it helps in the end translating to some performance related goals, but it definitely wasn't driven at the time by this. Oh, I need to hit X. Yeah, that's the fascinating part that when you when you back up or maybe focus in on like the little things that matter most and maybe disassociate from like a specific outcome, like I want to execute today or I want to mm-hmm. execute this next lap and you just do that consistently and then you fast forward that times 10, times 100, times 1,000, mm-hmm. then you're excellent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My, my dad, my dad made a comment. He listens to, um, he listens to every episode and he commented a few months ago. He's like, the level of access you have to these athletes, to these pro athletes is, is wild. I'm like, dad, these are people who are just exceptional at being consistent. Like that's the secret, right? I mean, Mm -hmm. sure. Genetics play a role, but to express the potential that you have, there's no one specific day or workout or block or year, maybe year, but maybe not, um, that, that does it right. Exactly. Yeah. And you know, that's one of the biggest, I mean, there's so many things I think back to what coach Butler, my college coach taught me, but he was so big on consistency. And so I look, you know, I look back at my college training and there was nothing flashy about it, nothing fancy, but we built year after year after year and I stayed healthy. And so I was able to just keep building on those years. And then even in my professional career, I've stayed pretty healthy to keep building on every single year. So it was like, you know, even I look at 2021 and I was like, you know, it wasn't really right before until right before, you know, the Olympic trials, the Olympic games that I started to see those moments of like, okay, things are coming together. It was really just, I think, you know, I'd been training under Jerry for five years. I'd been putting in the work and, and like you said, like not just, the like miles or the the workouts, but also, you know, working on these mental skills in these workouts too. So by the time I stepped on the Olympic games, I had this like massive sum of training under me, not just like, Oh, I did this one workout and I'm ready to go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I remember talking to you last spring and you're like, this is the best I've ever felt. So yeah. what, what is it, what does it feel like to get to a place that you've never been before physically. And, and I want to ask physically. And then I, I also want to ask if that was paralleled, uh, emotionally. 
Yeah. Um, it's exciting. You know, it's, it's a fun place to be whenever running is just clicking, um, and feels almost effortless. But I must say, like, you don't want to just always search for that feeling because I've definitely done that before. And you can run really well when you're not feeling like physically 100%. And that's where I think the biggest growth I made last year and the most changes I made were actually more on the mental emotional side. And that's what allowed those, like, I think the physical growth then. Because I think, you know, you can do all this training, but if you're also not training your mind and you're not in a good place emotionally, like I think you're going to get stunted. And, and I personally found that I was in that spot, you know, I think really for about a year and a half, two years, um, you know, I think I was making progress physically, but I was really being stunted more on the emotional mental side of things. And I, I wasn't addressing it. Cause I think I just thought if I kept pushing it eventually it would, it would work its, itself out and I would figure it out and be fine. Um, but it doesn't work that way. Something I've heard a million times. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. It's, it's, but it's fascinating again to hear an athlete at your level saying I needed to work on my mental game. And I think that a lot of people, maybe it's changing, maybe not, but a lot of people associate like asking for help on with the mental weakness. side of things with weakness, right? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I talked to Scott Fobble uh, last year on the podcast. He was like, if your leg breaks, you go to a doctor and ask for help. Yeah. This is the same thing, but for your brain. Exactly. Um, why do we look at it as weakness? So how did you take that first step and what did what did that look like? Yeah. Um, you know, looking back, it was like my first, gosh, like three years, like two and a half, three years running professionally. I sort of found success and, but hadn't quite figured everything out. And then all of a sudden I felt all this pressure and I, yeah, I spent about a year and a half, two years, just really struggling and putting a lot of pressure on myself and, and really falling into a lot of bad perfectionist tendencies. And I think that really affected my world championships in 2019. Um, and then really affected things in 2020. And there were some sparks of things going well. And then what actually just kind of put over the edge was I had an injury at the end of 2020. I had a hamstring injury and all of a sudden I wasn't able to to train with the team and, and training wasn't going well because I was in physical pain too. And I was doing a workout at home over Christmas break with my husband and he actually last year finished his master's degree in positive coaching. Okay. Um, and he started to push the pace on me and I started to panic in the middle of the workout and he was able to get me through the workout, but we finished it. And he was just really honest with me. And, you know, he's been alongside me on basically my entire running career. We started dating our freshman year of college. So, um, he knows me very well and has seen me through the sport. And, you know, he was just like, if we don't figure out how to help you manage your anxiety in training, and racing. He's like, I just worry you're never going to see your full potential. And, and hearing that is really hard, but I also know like he wouldn't say something like that if, if he didn't really care and want to see me reach my potential. And so that was the first kind of moment where I was like, you know what, I really need to dive back in and, and try to address that. Cause I'd worked with a sports psychologist off and on early in my professional career, but never had been consistent. And then when we got to Flagstaff, I was still dealing with the injury and I started to continue to have, I had another panic attack in the middle of a workout and it just, it got to the point where I finally did break down to Shalane and, and Jerry and told them, I was like, you know what? I don't think, I don't think I'm okay. And I was like, we need to address obviously the injury, but also like 
I'm not enjoying running anymore. Like I get so stressed for every single run. It's not fun. And Shalane really took the the reins on it and, and helped me find a therapist. And I just finally dove into the work too and um, and found someone that I just really connected with and was able to open up with and um, realize like how much, you know, not just even within running, but within my life, some of these perfectionist tendencies were affecting me. And so it was, you know, we started working on them and, and, and working on and things in training to where then when I got to the races, you know, I, I felt ready to apply them. And, and one of the, the biggest things was this, the concept of being present, like being present in the lap you're in and not allowing myself to immediately go to a panic state. Cause I often, when I start to panic cause the pace changes or, or something within the workout or a race is playing out differently than I expect. I tense and I stop breathing, <laughs> which is the last thing you want to do while, while you're running. And so, you know, just, we started small by like, okay, someone pushes the pace. What is my reaction going to be? I'm going to take a deep breath. I'm going to keep breathing. And we're going to focus on one lap versus being like, oh my gosh, I have two miles to go. Panic, stop breathing. So those small changes were really impactful. <laughs> Do you have like a, a memory of, a, of the first tangible time that something went differently in a positive way as a result of the work you were doing? Yeah. You know, I think that um, I look back at, it was really our like camp in... Um, Park City that I started to really see a lot of those things come together. There were definitely some really good moments in our training post Flagstaff last year where I started to see myself applying them, but it became much more consistent once we were in Park City. And we also really kept kind of, I'm a big fan of like, um, like power words or mantras, things that I like to focus on going into these workouts too. And the word we kind of kept coming back to last year was belong. And that was one that really pushed me through that camp. And I still remember, you know, getting put with Elise and, and Carissa on this really big 5k workout altitude last summer. And I was so nervous because I mean, they're phenomenal athletes. And, you know, I kept just before every rep, like you belong in this workout, you know, be in this lap. And I walked away and, and suddenly it was like, wow, I was in control the whole time. And, you know, I was shifting to positive thoughts instead of that thought of when am I going to fall off? And so it was really, yeah, those, you know, couple of months in Park City that I really saw that shift happen. And, and the coolest part too, was just how much I was enjoying training again. And so I think that was more than anything, the most exciting part. I mean, results are awesome and it's great to crush a workout, but whenever you just, you feel so happy about like your mindset and your attitude and that you really feel like you belong doing what you're doing. I think that's what, um, that was the best feeling. Do you remember like the specific feelings after that workout? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, it was, you know, definitely that what we call runner's high feeling, you know, you're just like, Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, I, you know, I was really proud of all the work I'd put in to, to get to that point where, um, yeah, I wasn't allowing that scared feeling to take over, but you know, it's still always a work in progress. I still find myself sometimes having that tendency to like, want to go back to that. And, um, and that's why, you know, I think that that was one of the biggest things, even going into this year that I wanted to change was 
you know, you know, like you get injured, like we talked about, you do all the rehab. Well, what do you do after you do like prehab, you continue to do the exercises to stay healthy. And so it's like, okay, great. I had this awesome summer and I saw myself get to a really great place, but I can't stop all the work that I did to get there. Like we have to continue it. So mental and physical. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, when you were standing on the start line at the games last summer, were you drawing on that experience in Park City or or how were you drawing on that experience? Um, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that was my word for that race. I actually wore a temporary tattoo on my wrist that said belong, you know, just to have that reminder that I belonged in this race. That was something I think that I really struggled with over the years was, you know, believing that. And especially with the race plan that we had, um, you know, going to the front, reminding myself, you belong at the front, you belong making this move. And so I really leaned on those things that we worked on in those, in those training sessions. And, you know, I also, one of the most, like, I would say overwhelming feelings I had on that start line was honestly just gratitude also, just cause and I think so many athletes can, can speak to this, but the journey to get to that starting line in Tokyo was just so long and so much different, I think, than most people expected. And so, although I would never wish for this pandemic to have happened, um, I think it's made me appreciate every time I get to step on the line a lot more. And so I definitely felt that going into, into the games. I can only imagine. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> Thank you again to Tracksmith for their support of the podcast. I've been a fan of Tracksmith and their community-first efforts ever since my early days of running in Boston. As my miles increase again ahead of some big goals this coming spring, I'm definitely doing it in comfort and style with their gear. I'm also proud to partner with Tracksmith because they're going to donate 5% of your order value to the Michael J. Fox Foundation for all orders, and you'll also get free shipping. The Michael J. Fox Foundation is dedicated to finding a cure and helping those living with Parkinson's. Both of my grandfathers have or had Parkinson's, and I'm grateful of Tracksmith's support for something so personal. Visit tracksmith.com slash for the long run to see some of my favorite pieces, and all orders that start from that page will contribute towards this donation. Recover Athletics is a supporter of not only this podcast, but also my own running. It was built in Boston by two lifelong training partners who got tired of aches and pains getting in the way of their training. In 90 seconds, their app will customize a program for your body and your training. I plugged in some of my more common aches and pains, and I got a custom-built program designed to strengthen the muscles and tendons that will help avoid these issues going forward. Your first custom pre-app program is free, and they have an unlimited free trial. You can get it on the App Store right now by searching Recover Athletics or click the link in the show notes. If you like it and want to upgrade, their premium subscription costs less than one trip to a PT. Give Recover a try today. Your legs will thank you. Gratitude is something that I talk about a lot on the podcast. I'm curious, how did that start for you in terms of that practice? You know, I think that I just, it was, I think that I never thought that the Olympic games might not happen for 2020. You know, I finished the games in 2016 and basically circled the Tokyo games on my calendar four years from then. And I knew it was going to be a lot of work to get back to the games, but I never thought that it might not be a situation that I don't go because I didn't make it, but because they might not happen. 
And so when they got delayed, it was a really, really hard um, thing to kind of handle and, and think about. And so I think it really started then it was like, well, you know what, like, I still get to pursue this thing. I love this passion. Um, I still get to run every day. I have my health. And so I really tried to start there with the concept of gratitude. And then when I got hurt, um, once I got healthy again, just being back on the path, I kind of wanted to be at um, towards um, the Olympic trials. I felt just so happy because, you know, sure. It wasn't uh, an injury that kept me from running or but it wasn't, I wasn't training at the level I wanted to and, and things like that. So, you know, anytime you get derailed, it sort of can, I don't know, it, it, it can get stressful. There was just so many little bumps, I think, in that road that, you know, I fell at the Olympic trials, things like that. And then even I fell really ill in our training camp in Hawaii right before we were flying to Tokyo to the point I didn't know if I was going to be able to get on the plane. And so... By the time I arrived in Tokyo, I was just filled with gratitude because that whole year, just getting to that point, had there were so many times where I didn't think it was going to happen after spending, you know, almost four years solely focused, like so focused on on one event. So um, it's just really enjoyable whenever you get there and you're just appreciating the opportunity more than like being afraid of failing at the opportunity. I think that that shift was a, an important one. I spoke with um, one of your former teammates, uh, Gwen Jorgensen, and oh. in in our conversation, she said something similar that she wasn't, or something along the same lines. She wasn't afraid of failure. She was afraid of success. And it's just this, like, it's interesting how fear can can factor into, so I guess that's polar opposite from what you were saying, but um, it's interesting how, how fear can play a role both in regards to success and failure. So I'm curious where that, where that shift happened. Yeah. I think that the first time I sort of experienced like the fear of failure really impacting sort of my racing and how I felt about some of my races was actually in Rio. Um, cause I raced so safe there that I walked away feeling like kind of unfulfilled because I didn't feel like I'd made the most of the opportunity, but it took a really long time and a lot of work. And it, it's still taking a lot of work to not be so calculated because of the thought about the end result. And so, um, you know, I, I think I look back at that race in Tokyo and the thing I'm most proud of actually is that. I raced in a way that I was going to be my very best self that day versus focusing on like, I have to be at X place to be successful. And so, um, and then that was some really important words from Shalane that I got going into that race was, she was like, I know it can be really terrifying to put yourself out there like that. But she's like, I also know you're going to walk away with no regrets if you make the move that is going to help you be the best version of yourself in that race. And, and making that sort of shift was really important and helped me to just move past. Yeah. This idea of failure, because if I'm my best self, it, it's not a failure. That's as good as I could have been that day. And so, um, you know, it would have been a hard pill to swallow. It would have been, yeah, I would have been disappointed if I was fourth or fifth, but if I knew I did everything I could to be the very best Courtney that day, I was going to be happy. 
you know, those were really important lessons from Shalane and then, and then Evan as well. You know, I think I was able to ask Evan Jager a lot of questions about, you know, the difference between his 2015 year and his 2016 year. And he said that the mindset shift he made was, what do I need to do to be the very best me today versus what do I need to do to meddle today? Because you can't control what anyone else is going to do. Is there an aspect of curiosity in there? Yeah, (laughs) I don't think so. It's like more about almost like self-discovery versus like hitting X, you know? Yeah, it's sort of like instead of can I do this? It's more like how good can I be? And so I was, yes, I was referencing the conversation I had with Vanessa Fraser last March. Um, actually this was March of 2020. Um, wow. Time flies. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, and I asked her, I was like, fast forward five to 10 years, what are you really proud of? And her answer was, just getting better. And so I yeah. think like when when it's an exploration of how good can I be versus yes. can I do this? It's like a categorically different process and outcome. Yeah. No, I 100% agree with that. And I think that making that sort of change allows you to test the waters more too and be more resilient in these races or these workouts and realize like there's going to be so many different paths to a result. Whereas like, you know, for myself, if I just focus on, can I do X, I'm going to basically probably take the same path every single time until I either get there or I go insane because I'm just doing the same thing over and over again. (laughs) So my question is why are pros enlightened to this like process versus outcome? Whereas I think many am like the skew of pros who understand process versus outcome and the mix of amateurs who understand process versus outcome is flipped, right? You would think that people who are not being paid to compete would intuitively would think that they would focus more on the process. Whereas Mm -hmm. pros who are being paid to compete and to win would be focused on the outcome. But in, in reality, that's flipped. Do you have any idea why you think, you know, why that might be the case? Um, Or do you disagree? (laughs) I mean, I would say most of us have been outcome driven and realized it doesn't work. Okay. That's, (laughs) I mean, I a hundred percent like spent years being outcome driven. Um, Especially, I think I, you know, was really fortunate to win a medal in my very first year as a pro. And so suddenly, like, the definition of success became medals. And I was like, you know what, like, I I can't have that be my definition of success, because I may run out of my mind in a race and everyone else might too. And so... (laughs) So how, How do you define success today in January of 2022? Um, right now... It's consistency. Yeah. I'm focusing on building the foundation. And I would say, you know, since my focus is more in the summer, I'm really just trying to continue to implement those things I've been working on, on, on my mental game, like continuing to do that. And, you know, I think that no matter what success I've had or, or any elite athlete has had, there's always things you can be better at. And so like, what are some new goals we can have? And so right now it's a lot of the non-performance related goals that I, that I want to focus on. So, you know, like, how can I be better in my fueling? You know, that's, I think something I can always be better in, you know, like 
how, you know, am I remembering my post-workout snack every single time? Or, you know, how about like, remembering to take my iron, things like that. You know, I got my blood results back and my ferritin was lower than I wanted it to be because I was slacking with my iron. You know, I think there's always these little details that um, we can continue to be better on. So, you know, with January kind of being the really big start, like kind of our uh, focus for the year, I'm starting now with those things. Very cool. So I just want to reiterate your answer to what is success is defined as things that are within your control. And I find this to be fascinating. And I did like a little year end summary last year, I don't know, two weeks ago. Um, <laughs> and I've, I've found, or I've just like noticed that of people who conventionally have achieved very high levels of success, they define success on their own terms. And I just find it to be interesting. And maybe it is because of what exactly what you said, like you've chased outcomes for long enough and realized it didn't work. And now you flip it and all of a sudden it does work, but not always, but you're still, you're in control, which mm -hmm. leads to your ability to be successful no matter what. Yeah. No, I think that explains it really well. Cause you know, I often go back to that race in Tokyo, but if I would have played it safe and let it come down to a kick and finished fourth, I think I would have been really disappointed because I wouldn't have taken control of something that I could have. And, you know, if I would have gotten out, outrun in that last lap and not meddled, I still would have held my head up so high because I would have known I did everything I could. So you're, you're at a place where you're curious and you're not afraid to put yourself out there. Um, I'm curious, what, what are you afraid of? <laughs> oh man. <laughs> you know, I'm still combating the the fear of failure a lot. I think that's always still going to be something. Cause like I said, I mean, I go back to this a lot, but such a perfectionist nature that that's something I'm always working to overcome. But I do think that putting yourself out there is, is a much greater feeling than playing it safe anytime. So, um, I want to lean into that a lot more, I think, you know, in the future and, and try and just, you know, not be afraid to take risks and things like that. And, and lean into that idea that if I was my best self, then that's, that's success. That's awesome. I had a conversation with Shalane before I ran Boston one year and, um, she had said something along the lines of share the goal, put yourself out there and bring others along for the, yeah. for the ride and <laughs> come out better on the other side. And I finished that race with sore biceps and triceps because I was like fist pumping <laughs> and like I, I had just run a marathon eight weeks prior. And so this oh was gosh. like a fun run to just see how much, how much fun I could have. And I still PR'd in That's both amazing. fun and time. Um, and I was like jumping down Beacon Street, but it's so true, right? Like I'd, I'd so much rather take a shot, take a swing and, and mm -hmm. like show that you can do this and fail. Like in the way that, I don't know, it's a little different than, than like the way I race is sometimes I'll just go out hard and see what happens. I don't know if that's right. <laughs> I don't know if it's good, but I kind of would rather put myself out there from the beginning and, um, see how long I can, you know, not, not do it in a stupid way, which I've also done. Um, but I, I want to finish like worked and tired yeah. versus um, feeling like, as you said, like you had more, more to give. Yeah. 
Exactly. And finding a balance because sometimes I've gone too far in one, yeah. <laughs> one direction. And then, you know, you find that place and right. then you never know whenever you might be able to hold on. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. I haven't found that. Haven't found that place yet, but <laughs> still searching. <It's> coming. <laughs> I hope so. I hope this is the year where I don't overshoot, but um, I'm curious about the positive coaching aspect with your husband. Do you work with him on that? Not a lot. He'll send me articles every once in a while. Um, and he has, you know, we've talked about some things that, that he has learned in his course or things like that. And, but like I said, I mean, he was really the one that pushed me to go, you know, find more of a professional, but he's still just, I mean, incredibly instrumental in my career. He, it's really nice to have a partner that fully understands what I'm doing and supports it like beyond anything I could ever ask for. So, but even, you know, like if I do work out with him, like if I'm traveling or, um, at home, things like that, he is able to sort of, I think, implement some of those things for me. You know, we were down in Florida for, um, over the holidays to visit some family and had a really hot, humid workout that I was really starting to not feel great. And he, I could, he was able to use some of those things kind of like talking me through it. So that was really helpful. But I see a lot of it more in the work he does with his athletes, which is, I, I'm really proud of that. Um, he is a coach at Portland State University and just the trust that his athletes have with him. And just, I don't know, it's fun to see the interactions he has. And he's just really good with communication with athletes, which I think is really important. And I think that was a really important thing that we learned from our college coach as well was just communication. I think that's pretty key in a coach athlete relationship. You've spoken pretty highly about um, all of the coaches you referenced so far and so much. So to say like the first one you had was the absolute perfect coach for you. <laughs> I think there's a lot of discussion these days about particularly men coaching women or girls. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that there are a lot of coaches that listen to this podcast. So I'm curious what you would say to a coach who's coaching a new runner or, um, a budding runner? Um, I think that the first and most important thing is developing an open line of communication. Um, that was something, so I grew up doing gymnastics and I competed for nine years and had a laundry list of injuries, (laughs) learned a lot of what not to do as an athlete. And a lot of it came down to the fact that I was, and I was young, but I was not good at communicating if something hurt or if something didn't feel right. So I often trained through a lot of injuries or even, um, broken bones. (laughs) Um, and that was a big change than whenever I came to running and, you know, coach Beller really fostered that relationship to be like, you know, I want you to be honest with me and, you know, communicate about how you're feeling and, I think another thing, especially with new runners is to have patience. I think that it's easy to get really excited and and he easily could have thrown me in the deep end so quickly, but he was so patient with me and, and helped me to build that foundation and, um, you know, understand the sport. He was a big, big proponent of being a student of the sport, like understanding what you were doing. And so he helped me learn a lot of those lessons and yeah, I mean, his guidance was, was everything. And, and he helped me understand the importance of, of goals and having a variety of goals. So, I mean, gosh, yeah, I was running 10:30 for the steeplechase and he, 
set this goal of making the Olympic trials, which seemed wild to me. I was like, I don't know about this, but he was like, it doesn't mean that that is going to define whether you have a good career or not, but I want you to dream about that. And then we're going to have lots of other goals. We're going to try to achieve along the way. Very cool. What would you be doing if you weren't running? Um, I wanted to go to medical school. (laughs) So I was pre-med majored in chemistry in college. So cool. (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) do you think that what you learned there helped, helped at all in terms of fueling or, um, anything related to running or is it mostly separate? Um, no, I mean, I've actually, um, just, I think mostly because of my experience as a high school athlete and, um, young athlete have always been really interested in wanting to specifically work with female athletes a lot with reds. And, um, so a lot of stuff that I would either research or or look into in a lot of my classes was along those lines. So I think I have become pretty well versed in a lot of those areas just from the interest I had. And also when I'm done running, I, I have a strong desire to go into something to, to be a person that I probably needed when I was younger. Cause I often look back at some of my high school years and when I was a teenager and I feel really lucky to be, you know, at this level training in one piece. Cause I had some really bad injury years and years. I just wasn't really taking care of myself. And truthfully, I just didn't know. Cause I think that those types of conversations weren't happening and we've made a lot of progress. Um, there's still a lot, a, a long way to go, but, um, yeah, so I'm very interested in, in those topics. And I'm actually getting my master's degree in nutrition right now. Cool. Um, alongside yeah, running, which has been really fun and enjoyable. So, um, trying to use those things to help my own running, but then also hopefully be able to, to give back to the next generation when I'm done in the sport. That's awesome. It's really, it's cool to see people who are so successful sort of parlaying that success forward. You look at what Shalane has done. And when I reached out to her to work with her via inside tracker, she's like, my goal in life is to help others like, and be of service to others. And it's, I mean, you've seen, we've seen it in her own racing, like with, yeah. <laughs> um, it's just like really cool to see someone who is so focused on like helping people get better. I've referenced this conversation that I had with my grandfather a bunch of times on this podcast, but the last conversation I ever had with him was about the meaning of life and his definition of why are we here was essentially to leave the world a better place than when we found it. And it's true, right? Like if everyone did that, we'd just be leveling up all the time instead of going the other way. And it's really cool when people have the, like they're able to acknowledge that they're there because of the contributions that others have made, or they've been able to do it because of the people around them. And then they want to, you know, elevate that going forward. So I'm curious about your relationship with the team. It's really cool to see the, um, the success that the team has been having and it just looks like you're having fun all the time. Yeah. I mean, I, this is year six for me and, you know, I'm officially moving into the role of the veteran on the women's team, which is pretty crazy. Um, but it's fun, but you know, I look back and I feel so fortunate to have, had, you know, Shalane and and Amy 
and Emily. Those three were kind of the the veterans on the team whenever I joined to really learn under. And, you know, I think like what you said, what's so special about them isn't just what they've their success isn't just what they've done, but the fact that they're not afraid to then turn back and share it with us and bring, bring us up alongside them. You know, there were so many times that I'd ask a million questions and they weren't afraid to answer any of it. And, you know, I just feel incredibly lucky to have had those three in my first year. And then, you know, Shalane was so instrumental, particularly this last year in the success that I, that I had this summer. Um, I have a really, I think, unique relationship with her and having been teammates and then now her being one of my coaches. So we have a really close relationship and I feel like I'm able to be incredibly like open and, and honest with her and things felt so collaborative because I would just talk to her about how I was feeling or what I felt like, you know, was missing in this race or things like that. And it just, I saw little changes being made and, and I just, it was a really great feeling. And she's so great, especially for our women's team as a whole, you know, Elise, Carissa, and I especially talked about this so much this summer going to Olympic games. Cause so many of us, there's this strong desire to just keep doing more and more and more and more and more. And she was being like, no, you guys need to take a day off. No, we're going to taper. Like we're going to back off like things that she actually said she wished sometimes she would have done more in her career that she was encouraging us to do. And then we all were like, wow, we like had a really great Olympic trials. We felt really good at the Olympic games and things like that. And so, um, yeah, I mean, Shalane has really set the standard for our women's team and it's can be scary going into practices whenever you like look around and you know, you're like, Oh my gosh, like Gabriella's run three fifty six for the 1500 and it's speed day. Like, <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but you know, like getting to work with somebody who has a skill set that's different than you is really going to push you to the next level. And also like we all understand what each one's going through. So those hard days, you can kind of turn to them and talk about things because it's likely that they have a good understanding of what you're going through. So yeah, I definitely hands down would never trade being a part of this team environment for like trying to do it on my own. Like it's, it's really, really wonderful. And, and it's fun transitioning into the, you know, the older role now too. I feel like for so long, I felt like I was like the baby. And then now I'm like, oh my gosh, like I'm the veteran. Like, <laughs> Cool. Uh, is that an exciting feeling or is that, are you nervous? It's both. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Sometimes I definitely like, I, still think I'm like, you know, 25, like year two of running professionally. And I'm like, no, not that anymore. So, but, um, no, it's fun. It's, it's neat to now be in a position where I can share some of the things that I've learned. And, you know, I'm living with, um, Lucia Stafford. So Gabriella's little sister, she's in my house and 23 first year running with the team. And so, um, you know, it's, it's good to be able to, share some of the things we learned from our first years. Cause sometimes whenever you're the only one coming in as a young athlete, you can look around and be like, it can feel like, Oh my gosh, I have so far to go. I know that's how I felt. Um, so whenever we can share our experience of the transition into the team or, you know, into running at this level, you know, hopefully it helps a little bit. (laughs) Very cool. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that with uh, with everyone listening here. I was hoping to get out to Flagstaff this February, but maybe next time. Um, yes. <laughs> and uh, hope to see you out there at some point soon. For those who don't follow you yet, where can we find you on your corner of the internet? Um, my Instagram handle. <laughs> Is that what you're looking for? Yes. <laughs> um, it's just my name, Courtney Frericks. So pretty easy to find. Awesome. Courtney, thanks so much for for taking some time to chat today. Yeah, thank you for having me. This is fun. Of course. That's it for today's episode. Like many long runs, it's sad when it has to end. I hope you join in next time on For the Long Run. And in the meantime, happy trails. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean a lot to me if you shared it so that others can find it and enjoy it too. This podcast and the accompanying music has been produced by Brian Walters of Single Track Sound. For the Long Run's logo was created by Vanessa Wolf of Sterling Wolf. 